We've had lots of guests on this podcast whose organisation has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. But I think it might be fair to say that my guest this week, Vivian McVeigh, Chief Executive of Virgin Care, has faced one of the biggest challenges. Vivian and I talk about how Virgin Care managed to navigate them and be part of that national effort supporting communities as we tackle COVID-19. Beyond that, we also talk about the civic health model that Virgin Care have pioneered in Essex, which not only provides community health services that are community shaped and led, but in doing so, also then in turn provides opportunities for local people to have careers in healthcare. And it's a model that I think can be part of how we level up Britain. So I hope you find it interesting. Vivian, um, it's fantastic for you to come on the podcast this week. Thanks so much. I mean, obviously, many people have been affected by the COVID pandemic. But I think somebody who's already running a major healthcare organisation is probably really going to feel like they're at the centre of things. How's it actually worked for you, for the organisation as well, Virgin Care? Yeah, so I think the first thing that... Um, hit us was the great sense of responsibility. Um, We provide services out in the community and at the beginning of the pandemic I think that you know everyone was focusing on hospital care quite rightly to make sure that we could um, care for those who were really sick. Um, So actually the guidance and support for the community um, was a bit slower in coming understandably because everyone was focusing on, on hospitals and I felt an overwhelming sense of responsibility um, for you know all the four and a half thousand um, colleagues that work for us which include about four thousand frontline colleagues delivering hands-on care to the frail elderly and to children and their families um, and I think the first like everybody else for the first few weeks it was just trying to work out what you know what is this virus you know how can it affect people what what do we need to do and i think my main my main feeling was i need to make sure that i can protect my colleagues um so so that they can carry on giving they feel safe enough to carry on giving the service that they give um and there were really two ways of doing that one was immediately we looked at everything that could be virtually like many organizations Mm -hmm. and Um, Like many healthcare organisations, you know, we have had plans to move more services virtually over years and it takes time to do that. But we did that, um, you know, very quickly in a matter of days, we managed to get um, people working um, online and even having, you know, having consultations with their um, patients or the families that they serve online. And then the other way of protecting our colleagues, obviously, is to protect people with PPE. Um, and to work out what, um, how to deliver their service safely. So we, we kind of almost split our business down the middle. There were the groups of people who were working, particularly with children and families, who were focusing on going virtual, and then the groups of people in our business who work, who, um, work with the frail elderly, who are in our, our adult community services, so people like district nurses, who were working out how to deliver their normal service but do it safely. Um, so everyone was very busy and like anybody else working in a health and care business, it was, it was really busy, but clearly like everyone else daily meetings to make sure that everyone was, um, you know, everyone was in the loop with the 
the, the guidance as it was coming out to sort of spread mm -hmm. out any guidance we were getting from the government to hear the difficulties that people were having um, and setting up, you know, really good communication um, and just collecting some very simple bits of information so that we knew what we were dealing with. So, for example, how many of our colleagues had to go off shielding straight away, how many were sick, um, so that we could then um, ma manage the impact on our services. Um, and presumably so over time it, it evolved because the situation evolved. There were presumably areas that proved a lot more challenging maybe than you'd anticipated. Um, it would just be interesting to hear about some of the work that you did in places like Bath and Somerset, Wiltshire, around serving the community. Because I, I think hopefully um, it was interesting from my perspective, talking to you earlier about how Virgin played a role in really pulling together some networks that could support communities. Yeah, so in Bath and North East Somerset, we, um, we provide a very integrated service for um, adults and children in, based in the community, so community services. So we have very close links with general practices, actually with the hospitals, with the local authority down there. Um, and one of the things that we do have is a, a care coordination centre which coordinates people care, people's care. And I think from quite early on, um, we realised that that could be the focus of providing a, a wider community service for people that needed our support. And this wasn't just to for the frail elderly, it was for everybody that needed support. So that included people, you know, adults, for example, who were shielding, who couldn't get shopping. Um, it included um, providing support and help, for example, where families um, would ha maybe have a child with a learning disability who would normally be going to school but who was at home because they were shielding mm -hmm. um, for one reason or another and who the families you know many families found that very stressful and difficult to manage and it was about providing support for the whole for everyone in the community so we brought together we we provided the infrastructure um, and we brought together um, several several third sector organizations or the, the charities who were providing um care for different groups of people in Bath and North East Somerset and then help link them um, to our services and to all the other local authority services so that there was a coordinated response and people just had to phone one number which was advertised widely on buses and everywhere else in the community and they would be immediately directed to the right source of help. Um, so from having provided originally just health and care services with our care coordination centre, we found that we were providing what we call the care, the compassionate community hub, care to much, much wider mm -hmm. group of people. Um, and I think, you know, everyone in the Bath area really appreciated it. Do you feel that in a way, the coronavirus pandemic just enabled all of the decisions to be taken at a more local level a lot faster people really got on with stuff and actually had it as it were been in peacetime it would have been a lot harder to get this set up weirdly um but i think that's definitely true because it provided a focus for everybody to say mm -hmm. actually this isn't about organizational boundaries this is about and it's not about different organizations it's about we need to help these people now so mm -hmm. you know we have got several examples of where people were who you know who were um shielding um who was seriously ill just would have been left without food totally whilst the government scheme got up and running mm -hmm. um, but we were able to step in um, and get right to the heart of the matter very very quickly 
um, because we got the right information about family and then somebody um, could could be dispatched to go out and do it. And because we're a health um, and care um, provider, we, we knew how to do that safely and to make mm -hmm. sure that anybody that was going out to visit somebody else was safe. Do you feel that some of the things, in a sense, that you as a healthcare organisation have learnt through the COVID pandemic, it'll change what Virgin Care does more for the long term? Is, is, is there a sort of legacy almost that comes out of this for you as an organisation to help improve performance? I think, yeah, I think there are probably three things that come out of it. So the first, um, undoubtedly, is um, virtual working. Um, you know, current, everybody talks about it, but coronavirus has definitely left um, uh, a legacy of that. And I think what's interesting is that what we found is that, for example, in Essex um, and in Wiltshire, we were actually able to reach more families and give them more support because mm -hmm. we've gone virtual. And then mm -hmm. we could keep the really kind of specialised colleagues in safeguarding to deal with the very difficult um, cases face to face or, or families that were really troubled. But actually, we were able to give more support to more families. Mm. And for many families, um, they they really enjoyed having virtual support. They felt that they felt less intimidated. They didn't have to travel anywhere. Um, and it really fit into their lifestyle. So that was good. Um, so, so it almost encouraged you to try or not to try, but almost to perfect a route of reaching people that maybe had always been there, but actually hadn't really yeah. been the one that was meant to be used. So yeah. people hadn't really looked at the fact that for a lot of people, it's more convenient. It's a bit, yeah. as you say, a bit yeah. easier. It's a bit and easier. And one that they could engage with yeah. um, better. So for, I mean, for young people in care, for example, virtual support is much, much more mm. accessible for them. And that proved very popular. So that would be the first thing. I think the second thing would be um, I think it really showed us the value of our care coordination services that we have. Mm -hmm. So we have um, big, we have care coordination centres in all of our big contracts. So up in Lancashire, Kent, um, in Bath and North East Somerset. And it showed that actually that could be the folk, really be the focus for a community mm -hmm. response. And I think we will be developing and continuing to build on and continuing to work with our partner organisations to come in to be part of care coordination. Mm -hmm. It means that somebody who's in distress can make one phone call and find and, and be directed immediately to the right place because the ha you have all the knowledge um, in the room. And um, I think f for us, that's definitely, you know, a good legacy. It showed how resilient that makes services when you have that, that sort of centralized um, call place and how much, and, and it also helps professionals as well. So if, for example, you have um, somebody who needs to come out of hospital quickly, you know, somebody, the hospital sister can immediately phone and find out what, who, which organisations are involved in that person and how you can, how you can support them. Um, and it takes a load of work off GPs as well to do that because traditionally GPs would have been the place that held the kind of um, the record about what was happening to, to, to somebody. Um, and I think the, the third thing is very much about the relationships and how you support communities. And I think I think what we have learned and we will definitely be carrying on is just the, the I mean, we, we knew it in theory, but actually learning it in practice is the vast array of services that exist in the community to support people. Um, you know, you can you can find some either a charity or a council service almost to do anything. It also exposed some of the gaps, but um, but what there hasn't really been before is that um, 
that way of connecting everybody. And I think quite often health um, health and care are so busy doing their own jobs that they don't look out to see what else there is in the community and how else people can be supported. Um, and I think now we will definitely be doing that a lot more and making much closer relationships with our, with mm. councils um, about how you provide the really the best services. It's quite interesting because there's a lot more focus now in education on the work of opportunity areas and I spoke to the Bradford Opportunity Area and Bradford University who are part of that and they very much felt that the fact that they have a working model very like your civic health model that you've been using in Harlow in Essex where you're really coordinating and working as a hub for for public health but they felt actually the Opportunity Area ended up being a ready-made team that could also respond to the pandemic and so it was it was a joined up team that was already there that whilst its original purpose was and remains driving education outcomes actually when crisis hit it was also able to help make sure that for example lesson plans got out to uh, families alongside food parcels so they were delivered at the same time to provide as you say that support for people who were perhaps a, a bit more vulnerable i mean tell us some more about some of the work you have been doing in places like Essex because it is this different way of working that really has created almost a virtuous circle of communities supporting themselves but with almost some structuring to empower them to be able to do that in the yeah. first place. Yeah I think um, so uh, the Essex Child and Family um, Wellbeing Service um, we're, we're very proud of what we're achieving in Essex but I have to say that you know a lot uh, a lot of the credit goes to the Essex County Council who had the vision for a different way of working and providing um, public health services if you like in a way that were, was much more integrated into mm. the community and supported the community to support itself I mean the very idea of it was about um, using that public health resource to you know help the community both identify and develop its own resources yeah now that 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 probably sounds a little bit um jargony but what it what it meant was that um essex county council were looking for a provider that would work with them to develop this model and what um what we did is we worked in partnership with bernardo's who work on the ground um providing um family well-being services in essex and we bought the the sort of the more public health element so um sort of meeting the health goals for children and we worked together on a model um, and rather than basing it around our structure, so the structures of, of the organisations, we we went and talked to um, the public and the council about what would work. And we ended up basing the services around cluster, around secondary schools and their clusters mm -hmm. of primary schools. Mm -hmm. And then we formed family hubs, which then supported those primary schools, which supported the secondary schools, so that you have a whole, basically a whole community um, with a with a, a sort of a structure there, and the family the family hubs are very much about um, learning the the tools of good parenting and supporting um, families, um, however vulnerable, um, to parent their children well because that's often the start of of health or all types of inequality in life. Um, mm. So it was pr about providing both a space but also all the resources for those families to, to start out on their journey of being families um, and learning how to support themselves. And we worked with um, the local communities to understand um, which services they would, they would benefit from. 
Um, so which sort of play services, which type of um, which type of developmental services for their children they would really benefit from, and then encouraged um, members of the community to come into the hubs as volunteers to help support the delivery of those services. Mm. And then developing from that, developing employment models into um, our, service, our services, which um, are about um, meeting the, the sort of health and developmental milestones of children and Bernardo's, which is about the health and development of the family. Um, and so we've so from that we've developed a whole um, both a range of volunteering opportunities and apprenticeships um, which we have throughout our business um, for people and we found that this this um, that the outcomes that the family hubs have achieved have far surpassed our expectations so the sort of things that um, we asked people what really mattered to them the important mm -hmm. driver here was about what outcomes do we want to achieve in public health? Which are the outcomes that matter to people? Mm. And they didn't talk so about- So almost less about how it was done, yeah. starting from what would good look like in the what first What would good place. look like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and we got answers like, you know, we want to be less, we want to feel less lonely. So often, you know, young mothers, predominantly mothers, but all primary caregivers, particularly those in single parent families, um, you know, felt, quite lonely, often afraid, um, with mental health problems because they were having to cope on their own, maybe isolated from their families. Um, you'd have, um, you know, quite if particularly if people hadn't had a good parenting experience themselves, you know, they 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 very much wanted to know how to be a good parent. Um, you'd have children, um, you know, parents wanting their children to be ready, more ready for school um, than they were, more prepared for that big transition. And I think if we're talking to young people, again, mental health figures largely, um, but throughout all of this, people, you know, people want, want to um, feel well, energetic, healthy, mm. and to have good mental health. Yeah, so it's not just about prevention of bad health, including mental health, it's about what life could be like. Yeah, very much. Mm. Um, so we built, we, we built our services around um, what people wanted to achieve and measured what wanted to what, what uh, people wanted to achieve. And I think this was what the really groundbreaking thing was. We worked with Essex County Council on what, how would we measure what was really important to people? Because this, usually, if you're providing public health services, you just measure the number of visits or contacts that you have. That was the because there was no other way of doing it. But we yeah. over the last three, well, two and a half years, we've actually developed measures that have been validated now um, and that sh have shown this how our service which really supports families and gives them um, gives them a, a single place to go where they they get to know people in their local community and they all work together as a, a community to raise their children almost um, that it's had a dramatic impact on people feeling less lonely less mm. isolated people having better understanding of how um, how to parent their children, um, less behavioural problems, children being being more ready for school um, when they go into into reception, um, and um, for young people feeling le again less lonely um, and more in control of their own health and well-being. So um, we feel we feel really proud of what we've achieved mm -hmm. with Bernardo's and Essex County Council there um, because this is all at the start of improving social mobility and inequality of all all types if you can get if you can get children off to a really good start then um, 
you know, then they're set for life. Yeah. And I think we saw during the lockdown that health inequalities obviously had a huge impact on people's chance of surviving coronavirus. Um, but there are almost these dual crises that we were hit with. One was the health crisis of what coronavirus is doing, but the second then was the education schools crisis. And, and really both of them are at the heart of improving social mobility. And I think that the work that Virgin Care has done in Essex is really interesting in terms of the model. It, it's almost um, a bit like you take some of the opportunity area work and then instead of it having a, an education heavy focus your civic health model has a health public health focus you know you really put the public back into public health in a way and i think the opportunity action plan gives us a real chance to not only share that with a, a wider world in a sense in terms of all the learnings that you've got from that whole experience with with um essex county council and bernardo's about everything you did but also then to work out how you can take that to the next level. Um, as you say, it's now complemented with a lot of learning from having to respond to the pandemic. So I think as challenging as that has all been, looking ahead, I guess it's also an exciting time because actually you can really genuinely see how to get impact on the ground. And that was the word you just used um, earlier, Vivian, that I really sort of felt was right. It was about impact you know, not just actions of the numbers of health visits, et cetera. It's really about whether that translates into change lives for the better. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think just listening to you talking, um, Justine, I think there is a great opportunity maybe to bring um, bring together both public health and the sort of opportunity area work as well to mm. see, if, you know, mm -hmm. see how that could mesh together because we're all trying to achieve the same thing, which is the best start in life. For, for children and their families just from slightly different angles and mm. I guess if if all of that could be consolidated and then really tailored to um, you know to what children and their families need um, we've got you know we have a lot of, you know we have people a lot of people who have great skills in this area and what we've learned through COVID is that you can get a wider reach of your skills by using virtual for those families that need less hands-on support and then you mm -hmm. can retain the hands-on support I mean I wouldn't like to see all of the social interaction disappear completely forever because that's really I think that's absolutely critical and one of the reasons that the family hubs have been so successful is that it's a you know it's if you're in a single parent stuck in a one-bedroom flat it's a place to go where you have space and you're welcome you can mm. make a meal um you can you know you can pick up very cheap secondhand clothes for your child um that are really nice and it's it's you know it's all of those things with those social interactions are really important so i wouldn't want to think that we could replace everything with mm. um virtual but and clearly all of that has to be um covid safe at the moment um but i think we've we've shown that there are different ways to deliver mm. services and they can give choice at the end of the day choice. to, yeah. you know, people who have very, very different lives. And I think you're right that you could see some of this work that you've experienced doing the opportunity area work. I think it can really come together in a really exciting way. There are almost three bits of it. One is the, the civic health model almost that you've been doing. Um, but really kind of focusing in Essex, there's the opportunity area work. And then I think if you can then on the back end of that, look at opportunity, 
so what's interesting about what Virgin Care had done with um, Bernardo's and Essex was really looking at job prospects for people and beginning yeah. to offer that within the model itself. But I think if you could then more strategically get local employers involved in that to be part of a longer term solution on um, careers, then then you, you really do start to, I think, alongside the school's work perhaps as well, get something that feels a lot more joined up, but very much owned at a local level, which is, I think, where the key to success has been from some of the work that you've done, whether it was in Essex or indeed, you know, in Bath and Somerset. Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that ownership is key because what we've, what we've seen is the sort of greatest success is where we've, you know, where some, you know, a a volunteer or, you know, a a, a member of a family has felt, empowered enough to say to us it would be great if for example you know you had uh you had job opportunities around this um and then we've been able to you know actually create something that um so particularly you know suite of apprenticeships that actually enable Mm. people who didn't who maybe didn't have much aspiration when they were at, at school if they're young parents or you know care leavers for example they can actually see um how they could you know they could have really bold um, goals for their own futures um, and you know I would help I mean health and care is one of the biggest sort of employment areas in this country yes. so if we can't get yeah. if we can't you know we can't get that right then then I don't think anybody can because there's just so much opportunity at the moment for people and, um, and we should be able link. to make it possible for people to come in at any level with any level of qualification as long as they've got you know the, the passion the determination if they want to have a career in health and care then it should be possible for them and that's where the social mobility piece becomes really strong because it's not just about, you know, in the case of what you you've been doing, um, focusing on public health, it is then what that can lead on to. And, you know, the, this, this longer term impact it can have on people's life. I think it'd be really interesting just to hear a little bit about in a sense, your own journey, Vivian, I mean, not everybody, I mean, especially, um, you know, I'm all for women getting to the top in all sorts of organisations, but there are still not enough of us, obviously, but you are one of them. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about your own journey that sees you end up running Virgin Care, you know, such a big healthcare organisation. Well, I think, I think I'm probably very lucky in one sense in that I was, uh, I was brought up as in part of a, a big matriarchy. So uh, <laughs> led by very strong women. Um, so my mother and her two sisters, and then I'm one of, I'm one of four girls. Um, right. So, <laughs> and I think that does make a difference because actually we did everything that we wanted to do. Um, so never saw, you know, within the barrier in the family, certainly there's never been any barriers um, to anything um, wanted to do. And I was also very lucky because I benefited very, um, early in my life from um, a a very generous scholarship that took me to a fantastic school and you know Mm -hmm. education is everything isn't it and from there Mm -hmm. I was the first person in my family to go to university Um, and you know I was lucky enough to um, be able to study medicine at one of the best universities in the country. Um, I think um, my journey then was was I guess slightly atypical for most medics in that um, I did go into general practice which I practiced and enjoyed for for 15 years Um, but I always had a sense that I wanted to do something on a on a slightly bigger scale Um, Mm. so general practice is a fantastic career because you know you get to really impact um, on on individuals who are you know your individual patients who are in your care 
um, but it's it, you know you, you're quite confined in terms of your the stage that you work on. Um, so I, I then got involved in our local um, healthcare trust, and from there began my management journey, and um, was lucky enough then to um, get a, a well really be be headhunted for a role in the business. Um, which was the start of Virgin Care. Um, it was owned by somebody else at that point. So I was a founder member of the organisation's Virgin Care. And I think, I suppose I was lucky because actually I always knew I could go back to general practice if that, if it didn't work out. Um, right. But I think after six weeks in the job, I realised that I would never go back. <laughs> uh, the system change was actually your thing. Yeah, system change was my thing, yeah. Um, and uh, and then we were in you know, the, the business I worked for was bought by Virgin and Richard had a very clear um, view that he wanted he'd been asked by Gordon Brown to see if he could bring some um, business a bit more business acumen to mm-hmm. um, to the NHS and we were we were the start of that and he you know the, um, Virgin had been great supporters of ours all the way through. Um, and I think Richard hasn't wavered in in sort of wanting to do the right thing and make a difference for people. And I think what what my broad career in medicine had shown me was that the NHS is the most amazing organisation as a whole. But within that, that it is so big that there are definitely vari- you know variations in standards of care. And I wanted to make sure that everybody had the best care because you only get that care once. You know, you only have a baby once. You know, you only have a baby once. Or twice um, you only go into hospital for for very serious operation once or twice in your life and actually every individual deserved absolutely the best care so that's always been my motivator um, and I felt that there was a, a lot of room for improving that care in the community so that's but why by we, doing things differently, differently in a way yeah mm-hmm. um, and we designed the model of virgin care and it's very simple in that what we're able to do is invest up front in people um, in their development um, and in technology. So to make them um, sort of more mobile and to gather more information about what we're doing. Um, and I think probably the third thing was having a very flat structure where you know a frontline nurse could, could with one phone call almost, if she wanted to make a change to what she was doing to make a service better, she could do it. Um, so I've, I've never walked into a room full of nurses or other um, clinicians or therapists where every single one of them didn't have an idea about how to make their service better but many of them just felt it wasn't worth even putting their hand up because they were never taken any notice of or it was just too difficult too much bureaucracy so we've made that really easy inside virgin care and i think if you talk to most of our 4000 frontline colleagues they would say that if if they want to do something to improve their service it's actually a very easy process um, so, so empowering them really to be able to deliver the best service best. that they're trained to be able to do. Yeah. Um, and, or even if they have a bigger idea, you know, but they, they're not sure how to do it, we can, you know, we can support them do it, to do mm-hmm. it. So um, that's how we've, we've grown the business. We work both with NHS commissioners and with local authority commissioners um, providing different services in the community, all of which are publicly funded um, and all of which aim to improve, to measure and improve the outcomes for the people that we serve. And I think that, as I said earlier on in our conversation, that's a really important 
difference, which is um, and which has led a lot of that how we redesign our services. We work from what's the outcome that we need to achieve for this person and then work work backwards from that rather than saying, you know, these the these are the nurses that we've got, therefore we're going to do it like this. Well, it's really it's really um, fantastic to hear so much about what you've been doing, um, especially how COVID's affected it. And we're really looking forward to launching the Opportunity Action Plan um, in a month or so. Um, you've obviously had a very varied but also interesting journey and career. If you were giving some advice, I'm sure you got lots of it by the sounds of it back in the Nakedoki. <laughs> If you if you were Vivian now giving advice to little Vivian all those years ago, what do you think it would be? Yeah, if I was saying it to my let's say fifteen year old self, I would say if you if you want to lead, then lead. You know that if if in yourself you know that you could do something better, then it it's you know you just take that baton and you run with it. And I think what I experienced along the way is that women lead different, women definitely lead in a different way from men. Um, and they're just different. They're both, you know, they both get to the end goal, but they're just different ways of doing it. And so I think for many of my years um, where I've got to in my career, I felt that I had to be something else other than who I was. I had to be more confident at speaking on stage, you know, I had to uh, probably be more directive and less collaborative um, and I couldn't you know I couldn't just be me you know I'm I'm an introvert I like reflecting on things <laughs> I'm not a big networker but actually that's fine as long as I employ big networkers around me um, so I think what I'd say to to my 15 year old self probably is you you go for it if you want to work if you want to act on a bigger stage you you know you you just believe in yourself and believe in your own skills that you have as yourself, you don't need to be something different in order to lead successfully. You just need to have the vision and the passion to drive something through. And I think it's it's really great advice. And it, in a way, what you're saying is, don't change because everybody has strengths, whatever kind of person they are. So play to those. Um, nobody's perfect, but a team can be. Yeah. So fine, if you're not all things to all people, that's normal find some of those other people who can do those other stuff. Yeah. And that's actually how you get success. And, and again, it takes you back to all the stuff that you've been doing in Essex, for example. It's all about teamwork, isn't it? It's about it having yeah. those different people, different ideas, um, but ultimately the thing they've got in common is the motivation and a mission, really, yeah. on it's public yeah. health on the ground and empowering a community to, to sort of help look after itself, really, which is a fantastic thing. Vivian, it's been brilliant having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, it's fantastic to have the chance to talk to somebody who's been so thoroughly um, involved in the COVID response um, from a health perspective. So I can imagine how busy you are. So we really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Vivian. Thanks, Justine. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with Vivian on this podcast. And since we recorded it, I've actually been back in Harlow, launching our Social Mobility Pledge Opportunity Action Plan on Virgin Care's civic health model. It's really clear that the passion Vivian has for this agenda is shared by all of the teams that I was lucky enough to get chance to meet in Harlow, whether in Virgin Care or Bernardo's, their partner that they provide local community health services with. The work on opening up careers inside the organisation, 
and for local people being supported outside. I think it's really remarkable what they're doing to promote social mobility in their communities they serve through healthcare. And it just shows how tackling health inequalities is a core part of how we can unlock a levelled up Britain. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit for Purpose. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and share with your friends, family and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.